Hello and welcome to Core Truth, the podcast show, where we will discover the core truth that controls our experience of life. I'm your host, Mark Follett, and together with my friend, mentor, and author of the book, The Truth of Love and Fear, Rudy Ecker, we will peel back the outer layers of consciousness in order to understand and realize the nature of our perceptions and the beliefs that control the experience of our lives. We will uncover the true nature of consciousness, what drives our personal actions, behavior, and feelings in life, and what really motivates mankind. So we welcome you to join us on a journey of self-discovery, self-realization, and self-awareness to give you a new insight into who you believe you are. Hello and welcome to Core Truth. Mark Follett here with Rudy Eckhart. Hello, Mark. Hello, Rudy. Have you had a good week? I had a good week. That's good to hear. Creating your own reality. Can't do it any other way. <laughs> I like that. Um, one of the intents of our of our mission on this uh, on this podcast is to bring to people uh, an awareness of what's going on in their real life, in their everyday activities. So there's lots of different topics we we could talk about that could go off on all sorts of tangents. But one of the things that pretty much anybody in the planet is involved with is personal relationships, in, in particular partnership relationships with their husband, wife, spouse, that sort of thing. So we wanted to to record a bit of a series of podcasts actually about relationships. Now, Rudy's obviously uh, writing his second book at the moment, which is actually about relationships. Uh, so he'll, he'll be at a wealth of knowledge on some of the topics that we're going to discuss here. But our first episode in that series today is really just about the general nature of relationships between between partners. And uh, one of the things I'd like to ask is, does love at first sight really exist? That instant attraction that people have when they see each other across the room, or maybe that's only in movies, but uh, it'd be interesting to sort of pull apart that initial attraction and see what's actually driving behind that and why are people attracted to each other, how we start these relationships, why we start the relationships, what our perception is of love uh, and the attraction that we feel to other people, and um, and then maybe touch on why partners in a relationship have misunderstandings, why they might fight, mm. like what causes disagreements in a relationship, mm. what, the, what the intent is behind that. So uh, we might start with that first question uh, about love at first sight and whether this kind of uh, fairy tale thing of, you know, you meet someone's eyes across the room and they're, they're the right one for you and, you know, you're meant to be and all that sort of stuff. I, I have a feeling that in the context of creating your own reality, there is some truth in that if you've been asking to meet a particular type of person, but then there's also fear that comes into the equation, which probably distorts the picture of that a little. Well, when you're attracted to somebody and... Um you feel you want to be with a person that must always feel like they are the right one. (laughs) Even if it's just for a night or is it just, you know, for a short period of time, you can never know beforehand, and I think many people do, um, whether it's going to be a truly a short-term relationship unless the person already plans it that way to begin with. And then in that case, you know, you will... um, try to strike up a uh, contact with somebody, maybe for the purpose of having sex with them or maybe just for the purpose of uh, proving yourself in some way or another that you are attractive to the opposite sex. It could be any number of reasons like that, but you may not at that point have the explicit desire to have a long-term relationship. But, of course, a lot of people look for a partner and 
Um, if you were to ask somebody why they're with the person that they're with and why they were or why they were and how they were attracted to them, you will always get from them the observation of the physical. You know, they look fantastic. I like girls with blonde hair. Well, she has a great body. Well, the person um, always, always... I like the way she smiles. Always behaves well with me or treats me nicely. Yeah, but that's probably more secondary. Mm. More in the initial attraction is they see that person behave and act. They see that person laugh and smile. Yes. They, um, they're attracted to their appearance because we tend to have biases, I think. Some men like... Blonde girls with blue eyes and others were like dark-skinned girls with brown eyes. Mm -hmm. It all depends on what your um, what your initial experience was when you were young or whether you're attracted to the opposite. There's a whole number of reasons for I mean, the physical attraction. There's culture in there as well. Mm -hmm. You might like people that are of the same culture or you might like people who are of a different culture because it's exotic. Yeah, it's the opposite. Like yeah. how a, a black person may be attracted to a blonde girl. Yeah. And how a blonde girl might be attracted, vice versa, to yeah. a dark-skinned person. Um, so, you know, we have these attractions, we have these things. What we do not see is the problem. What we are not aware of is the problem. What um, is exchanged between people without words is probably the problem in most cases. Well, what is exchanged be between people in one word or without words, uh, I'm going to call energetic because you have an energetic presence besides your physical presence. And to some extent, there is a lot of subconscious knowledge that is absorbed by the, by the mind that comes into this as well, body language and all sorts of things that you're not consciously considering as well, as, as well as the energetic you get you get the cues from the other person, if you like, yes. that suit you, that are attractive to you, but you're not necessarily conscious of the fact why that is so, or even that those cues that you see with your eyes and experience may not be a, an aware uh, notion inside of you. You may not say, oh, because she is acting this way, I like her, or because she smiles that way, hmm. I'm attracted to her. You don't think that it it is most of the stuff like that is subconscious mm. and it's actually more energetic than anything else. Mm. But energetic is like each of us radiates, for want of a better word, a bit like a radio station. Who we are, like at, a, at a certain frequency. Well, I don't know what frequency, but it is a harmonic that we put out. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's a, it's a certain it's a certain state of being that's part of consciousness. Well, like a symphony orchestra playing a particular if you like if you like like a piece of music piece of music like. yeah but unfortunately um unlike most orchestras we often have a uh, a whole bunch of aberrant musicians in our orchestra <laughs> and so we have a lot of fears which we are not conscious of and not aware of or think are normal um and it's those fears which also play a big part in who we attract and this is where relationships for many people are a mystery. That's how we get books that are written, men are from Mars and women are from Venus, as if we're a totally alien species because we do not understand what plays out between people because fundamentally we do not understand because we don't even know ourselves. We have to understand ourselves in order to understand how 
other people are in the world. We need to know who we are. Mm. And who we are is a definition of our own sense of being, or our own sense of self. If you don't know who you are on every level of it, right? And I mean, <clears throat> who you are is not what you do. Who you are is not what your interests are. It is, but it isn't. It isn't all you are. So your behavior only reflects in a certain way who you are, but it's not necessarily who you are. Mm. Um, we'll explain this further as we go in deeper into yeah. relationships, I, right? I think, I think too, the, the, there could be two different versions of who you are and the, the, the behavior would look the same at, at one end, but the, there's, two different, there's two different people that sit behind that. So you might have two different scenarios where two different people have different motivations, but when you look at it just at the surface level, there might be just one behavior, but there's different motivations behind that. And that's what you're saying is that the who you are that sits behind your behavior is far more important in this scenario than the behavior itself. For instance, in this relationship scenario that we're talking about, two men might buy a woman a bunch of flowers, but the who they are that sits behind that act, that behavior is could be completely different motives depending on what they're oh, I see coming. what you mean in, in, in that respect. But then you talk about two different people. I'm talking about you two don't talk about people. one person having two different scenarios behind one behavior. No, not an individual having that, but two. Like the behavior I'm saying doesn't really give you a clue as to who the person is behind the behavior. No, your behavior, your behavior can have uh, any number of reasons. Uh, people with the same issue and problem can have totally different and for apparent, um, for all the way we see it, totally opposite behaviors, which makes us think they're different people. We think then that one is behaving in a very unacceptable way and we don't like him or her, and the other one is very nice and pleasing, and we think we do like her and we do like him, and we think they're totally different people. While it is quite easy to show that both of them have actually exactly the same issues, but play them out in a totally different way. This, this kind of thing plays a big part in attraction. Why two people are attracted to each other. Look, it's quite obvious that we are attracted to appearance, to a certain kind of appearance. They were attracted to a certain kind of behavior that we often try to include on our list of wants and needs, certain other elements like um, um, confidence and stuff like that. Um, maybe even he has to be independent and self-sufficient. We, we may make this list, right? Could, could be that a certain amount of money has to be involved. Yeah. Um, have to be yeah, there could be. There could be, be that, that, that a nice, man has to be well-established, as they call have that. A, have a nice car or something. Yeah. That sort of thing could be a part of that scenario. Um the interesting thing is when, when men or women put a list like this together, um, they don't realize they actually expose themselves. Like you will, you will try and find in another person those things that you fear or lack in yourself, fear or are lacking in yourself. For instance, right? A woman who wants a man to look, to, to be wealthy, independent and be settled and in, in that way, right? Um, has a need for material security and support and care and protection, right? So her insecurities make her want a particular kind of man, mm -hmm. right? Another kind of woman whose life is very boring and uh, because she's probably boring, 
because she's not adventurous, because she doesn't like to overextend herself and take risks, might be attracted to a man who, for all intents and purposes, may appear more interesting because he's a bit weird. He does weird stuff. Um, not weird necessarily in a negative way, but weird because it's unusual. Mm. So that makes her life interesting to be with somebody who is a bit weird. If someone, you like. someone that's... Uh, I was going to use the word spontaneous, but I don't think we mean someone that strategically acts in a way to appear spontaneous. No, well, he, he may strategically act if you want, want to put behavioral strategy in it. He's trying to behave in a way that makes him interesting. Yes, to others. To, in, yeah. in a way that he will attract a certain kind of attention that makes him think he's a fascinating individual. Yeah, but doing things that are silly to get attention. Or... It may be silly or it may not be silly. He may just do, he may wear unusual clothes. Mm-hmm. He may, he may uh, uh, be attracted to do unusual things like uh, keep a camel or um, <laughs> do, 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 do you know what I mean? Uh, or, or, or do something uh, unusual as a profession mm. that most people wouldn't even think of doing. Um, those kind of people would be interesting to that kind of woman, mm-hmm. right? Um, some women... And how, how would that man, why would that man be attracted to a woman who was almost the opposite of that? Because it wouldn't challenge his uniqueness? No, because she would admire him, wouldn't she? Yes. And she would make him feel that he is special mm. because he's this amazing, unusual person to her. Mm which he's then attracted to her because he's now got an admirer, somebody who validates him, mm. who validates him through his behavior, and that suits him. It's, it's the same for the woman who, <clears throat> who's insecure, who feels that, that she's attracted to a man who has wealth and abundance, who, and this man spends his life trying to prove that he is somebody and something, and he proves it through creating wealth and abundance Mm -hmm. so they're a match because she admires him for his wealth and abundance and he needs to be admired for his wealth and abundance because the for him the purpose of having the wealth and abundance is to be admired well he needs to be validated Validated in that process so so he needs to have his worth and his value validated Hmm. and what better than through a woman and and i think the problem with all of this is Uh not that he's this this guy that we're talking about not that he has a flashy car that he can afford things it's the reason why he's acquiring he's that. acquiring that and the reason why this relationship is occurring is actually based on fear so if this woman is attracted to this man and this man's attracted to this woman in this particular instance we're talking about where she wants someone that's wealthy and abundant and he wants someone to admire his wealth and abundance the relationship the attraction is based on fear she, she, well her her need is not that she admires wealth and abundance but that she is incapable of creating wealth and abundance and security for herself. Yes, she needs to feel secure. So she needs someone to support her, to look after her, to be there for her. She's a needy woman, perhaps, Mm -hmm. as we described them, right? Needy for material security, needy to be looked after. And he has that need to have someone who is actually not secure because a secure, confident, stable, self-sufficient woman would not be attracted to him because she doesn't need an egocentric man in her life. And he wouldn't be attracted to her because he has nothing to offer her. Mm. Like, 
But so he has money. She will say, well, so what? Yeah. You know, That's what does everything. that matter to me? Yeah. It doesn't matter to me. Yeah. It's not important to me. So, so it's interesting <clears> then that the initial attraction that they would have felt towards each other, say they got introduced to each other and they, they, they clicked and they went on a date and they, mm-hmm. they, they ended up together. <clears> the whole attraction in this, in this point, even <clears> though, you, as you said, the person might describe to you, the reason I'm attracted to him is because he's, he's well-dressed and all that sort of thing. The reality is that the attraction is more about fear. It's a large portion of that can be physically attracted, sexually attracted. She may have the right look for him and vice versa, right? And they may hit it off. They may be great in bed. It may be um, for a while they're, they're, um, they feel like they're soulmates because one fills in the gaps for the other until... Her neediness, which will not stop, by the way, and his need to prove himself will not stop. So Just because they're in a relationship doesn't mean that it will stop. It's an insatiable appetite with it. Fear yeah, well, you know, for him, it's always about him. But how much, how much abundance would make him feel abundant if he feared that he would get no end to it? No, it's, it's, it's an infinite. Fear causes this sort of infinite um, <clears throat> gap in someone's life, doesn't it? That no matter what you do, you. You can't it's feel it's that. not enough because the, the the need to prove yourself persists hmm. because it's never enough. And, and the woman's insecurity in this scenario that we're talking persists. about again persists because no amount of security is ever going to fill them to make her feel secure. No, because that it's fundamental in her hmm. because her lack of security comes from her lack of belief in herself, hmm. her lack of faith in herself, her lack of. <clears throat> A lack of trust in our own capacities and resources. Um, okay, so these people that we're, that we're talking about are in a relationship and they've worked along, they've gotten to know each other a little better and their fears and insecurities are playing a part and a role in their interaction and that's the initial reason or one of the main original, initial reasons why they were attracted to each other to stay together. But I can see that there's a likely breakdown in their relationship that's going to come from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand that, but but we need to we need to. Yeah, there's just something else I want to address first because we talk about like one person is has a certain set of issues which complements the other person's issues, but we need to be aware that neither of them are conscious of this, no. and how they connect with each other is through their behaviour. So the issues that the woman has causes her to behave in a specific way, which we call strategic, mm-hmm. right? She tries to behave in a way that obviously doesn't show her fears and insecurities, and he doesn't behave in a way that he says, oh, you know, I'm here to prove that I'm capable and competent and wealthy and abundant and that I'm better than anybody else. He's not going to say that. Yeah. But his behavior will be to, through his conversation, through his actions and choices, through the possessions, through the watch he wears perhaps, through the car he drives, he tries to prove to the world that he is somebody of wealth, note, and that he's special. So his sense of, let's call it insignificance and worthlessness that he believes that he is, right? He tries to counteract that through the behavior and activity in his life by proving to the world that he's special, significant, has status, worth, and value, all right? 
Now, and there's a lack of self-awareness about what's really. Just a, he's not aware of that. He's no. not conscious of the fact that that his behaviour is driven by this fundamental part within himself. Mm. So we need to realise that that neither party knows what drives their behaviour. She's trying to be beautiful, attractive, confident in herself. She's trying to show that she is um, special and significant as a woman in order to um, make herself attractive to a man like him because she wants to be worthy of him. Because in her eyes, he is special. He does look like a man of status and worth. Do you understand? That's her perception. She doesn't see past his behavior, and neither does he look past hers. And I would say that there's not only a lack of awareness of those issues you're talking about, but there's almost those those things we're talking about that are actually caused by fear It could be seen as a positive thing in people's lives. So on the very surface of it, you could say, well, he's got plenty of money and he's got a nice watch and those are good things to have. Those are, those are positive experiences in his life. And for, for her, she looks really nice and she presents herself really well and, in the, and she is outwardly uh, perceived as confident in the world and those are all positive things. One would think. Yeah, one would think. But, and, but that's the illusion. That's the illusion, isn't it? Yeah. That's the illusion. See, the, the, the fact that we don't know ourselves allows us to um, accept the illusion as reality. So we believe all these things are real. We see people on a very superficial level. And because we don't know ourselves and see really ourselves on a superficial level, if I was to ask any individual in the street or anyone I meet, and I would say to them, tell me who you are. And you would get a whole list of behaviors. I do this. I like that. I uh, am attracted to this. Um, I respond in such and such way to something like this. Like what we get is behaviors, interests, attractions, responses and reactions as a description of who we are, mm. which is essentially our behavior. Mm. Like if we, if we were to ask that man, right, and we're picking on him a little bit, I think, on the kind of personality. <laughs> But he's a good example because we all know someone like that who either does that materially or just from an ego point of view to be always right and to know everything and to be the best one in the room, the smartest one in the room. So it doesn't matter if you have that kind of ego, you need to prove something. We all know an individual like that, mm -hmm. right? <clears throat> but we, we even judge him by his behavior. We either dislike him or like him or we challenge him or disagree with him, we battle with him or avoid him, right? Because of his behavior. And we judge him by his behavior because that we think that's who he is. That's the illusion we judge him by. We judge him by his, his illusion and our own mm. because we think that's who he actually is. We actually believe that this is who he represents. And um, we, we live our relationship with him in that context because he's living out himself based on illusions because essentially and probably we need to go a little bit deeper because if we are to understand relationships we've got to go a little bit deeper but right? understand ourselves first then we? we need to understand ourselves right but in understanding ourselves we need to know that if we have fears and insecurities um, 
how they become a part of us. And we've talked, sp spoken about this before on various, in various ways. How they become a part of us, why they remain a part of us, and why they are invisible to us. Right? And why instead we know ourselves through our behaviors only, and through our attractions only, and through our, some of our fears only. Mm. Right? Obvious fears. Um, like a fear of heights, or a fear of flying, or fear of spiders um, or something yeah. or a fear of commitment you mm -hmm. know we might we don't know why we have that fear but we know we fear commitment mm. <clears throat> so so at the origin of everything is our fundamental consciousness which is then shaped by the beliefs that our mind holds holds I'm trying to create a picture that I hope you know the listeners can sort of um, get their head around and sort of Try and understand. Just imagine that your consciousness is like water and that your mind is like a bucket. And so your mind holds the water, the consciousness that you are. The way the bucket is shaped will shape the water, which is then shapes your consciousness. So if your bucket is full of dimples and spikes and distortions, right, your consciousness will be experienced as a huge distorted mass, right? If the bucket is as smooth as the consciousness within it, then the bucket and the consciousness are at harmony with one another. When it's full of holes and spikes and distortions, they're obviously not in harmony with one another. This disharmony is a product of fears that we hold, which we acquire in childhood, through the way our parents have been treating us. And so because we come into the world, and I make this as brief as possible, with the expectation that we will be unconditionally loved, wanted, and accepted, right? And our parents, through their own fears, which they've learned in their childhood from their parents, lack the capacity to do this, to be the unconditional parents that we expect them to be, we finish up having negative beliefs, fear-based beliefs that are a product of their fears and the way their fears cause them to behave towards us. Mm. And of course, they were attract your parents were attracted to each other in part because of their fears. And so you're, you're dealing with, with complementary fears mm -hmm. of where your, your parents' fears are complementary and then present you with, a divert with two different levels of fear. One of one parent will be fearful and generally aggressive, and the other parent will be fearful and generally passive. They would generally have the same fears, mm. but explore, sorry, is express that in different behaviors. Generally, there's a strong connection between the, 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 the basic fear elements, mm. the fear beliefs, and they're often very, very similar, if not the same. Mm. So I don't want to make it an absolute thing and no. say, you know, your mother's fears are the same as your father's fears. Yeah. But they're very complementary and they often have a very similar basis, mm. right? Um, so if you learn through the way you've been treated that, say, for instance, your father's an egocentric guy and wants to prove that he's better than anybody else, he will be in competition with his own children, which might be you, mm -hmm. right? So then he will constantly try and show and prove to you that he's smarter than you, better than you, more successful than you, more capable, more, more competent, more knowledgeable, 
uh, stronger in every way, right? So you learn two things from a man like that. A, that you are inferior, that you're not good enough, that you're incapable, that you will never match him. You'll never live up to the, to to the, the, the shoes of your father. To the implied expectations yep. that are there because he doesn't want you to live up to him, by the way, because he can't allow yourself, he can't allow you to be better than him. Because that would challenge him, yeah. Because that would challenge him then. So he can't allow that to happen. Mm. But what you will learn from him is that the only way to be, to be good enough, to have value and significance, is to be better than anybody else. Mm. To have more than anybody else. To be more successful than anybody else. Whatever that perception of success is that you may have. Mm -hmm. And that therefore, you all of a sudden can become very, not all of a sudden, but you will develop a great need to be competitive with everybody else. So no matter where you are, whether you're just having a discussion or whether you're in the workplace or whether you're competing with another business or whether you just try to, try to um, whether you're on the golf course and playing a round of golf, right? You have to prove that you're better than anybody else as if your life depended on it. Mm. Even that maybe you can drink more beer than the next person or something. It can be something like that. <laughs> it can be anything. It can be something totally stupid yeah. and something that looks like, Oh, that's fantastic. He's so competitive. Oh, I can drink two like, cups like, of beer on my own. Or, yeah, or, yeah. <laughs> or you can win every round of golf, right? Yeah, yeah. Of course, you know, the fear of losing and the fear of not making it and the fear of being a failure begins to play a very strong part in that. And, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a high number of people who, uh, particularly men, that go through what I call boom and bust. Mm. periods in their life where they make a lot of money and then <clears throat> excuse me then un spend it unwisely mm -hmm. and uh, finish up busting as they call it yeah. and becoming totally broke and then build up a fortune again and go bust again uh, when they've supposedly made it right because they have the fear of failure which then manifests themselves in their lives as failure because their focus, it appears that the focus on is on succeeding, but the reality is the focus is on not failing, which is not the same. Mm. They probably fear success to some extent as well, because that would, in the, in their child version of themselves in their mind, is that would then challenge their father. That can be the case. Mm. Yeah, the fear of being successful is usually uh, due to parents that would then criticize, judge them or reject them or be angry with them. And so subconsciously, they, whenever they get close to success, they sabotage themselves mm. and go into failure. But what this all says altogether, if you put, try and put it in the context of relationships, that our lack of inner knowledge and our superficial understanding of our own behavior and therefore our superficial understanding of the behavior of others uh, makes us pretty dumb when we enter a relationship that the level of awareness that we think we have is based on feeling. And our feelings, unfortunately, don't always tell us the truth. Let me explain. They tell, they tell us the truth through the lens of our fear. No, which well, isn't no, the truth no, at no, all, no, is no, it? no, 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 it's not quite like that. Now, our, our feelings deceive us when there is a fear. And we, we're not aware of that. But we're in a strategic behavior 
that we have learned to use and that is subconsciously applied to us in every situation where it is applicable, right? Where it finds where that fear plays out. Where that fear plays out, mm. but we're not conscious of the fear. Whenever that strategy is successful and we get what we perceive to be a positive outcome, we feel we feel good. We have a positive experience. The, 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 the positive outcome, though, is really that our fear wasn't exposed. It doesn't matter. The, the, <laughs> the point is here mm. is that we have a positive feeling. Yes. And the fact that we have a positive feeling is then a guide for us that we're in the right place doing the right thing in the right way. Mm. So it reaffirms that our behavior is the right behavior to have mm -hmm. because it confirms that that behavior gets us a result, and that's why we call it strategic, gets us a result that makes us feel good. But because the feel-good feeling depends on the behavior, it is only ever of a temporary nature. Mm. And so we've got to reapply this behavior or series of behaviors or construct of behaviors in our life continually with the fear that it might fail in order to get a positive feeling, in order to be in a positive state of mind. It takes a huge amount of personal e energy to keep up this strategic Energy, behavior. effort, emotionally, mentally, and physically is just enormous. I can understand how that would be why people end up breaking down from depression or stress or get cancer. Or you can understand how this type of expansion expenditure of energy to maintain behaviors that are just strategic to keep yourself, to keep your fear basically locked away can just have a completely devastating effect in the long term on, on people's psyche. And then that plays out in, in the phys into their physical body, as we've talked about before on the show about how we, how, this is really delving into how our beliefs create our reality and our physical body and, and also yeah. all of the events in our lives. It's really another extension of that discussion that we've had before. Yeah. Hence the danger about um, talking about in the general sense and specifically in the relationship sense about happiness because when people talk about I want to be happy, hmm. like people want to be happy. And of course, happy means positive feelings. But if your positive feelings are created through strategic behaviors, which are basically driven by fear, your happiness is just an illusion. Mm. It is not real. And so people try so hard to be happy because they fear being in fear. And because fear is such a strong driving force because of the fact that fear is complicated. Fear is complicated whether it's in relationships or not, right? Because fear applies itself to everything. Fear creates the illusion that if you listen to it, if you obey your fear, if you take your fear seriously, that fear will keep you safe from what you fear. Because mm -hmm. really that's what, this, that's, what our, that's what this is all about for us is, is that we want to keep our sense of self safe and our fears are telling us that the only way to stay safe is to, is to undertake these behaviors so that we don't end up exposing that fear because it's not safe to do so. Yeah, you don't go far enough by saying safe, right? What our drive is, is to be in a state and live our life in a state of unconditional love, acceptance, and trust. Mm. So what we want to be safe from is fear. 
Because fear is the, is the absence, the disconnection, the um, exclusion, if you like, from unconditional love, acceptance and trust. So whenever love, acceptance and trust become conditional because of the fears that now are introduced by the parent, right, mm -hmm. to the child, and the relationship between the parent and the child becomes conditional, then the child goes into fear of not being able to meet that condition. Or being the child's beingness is not good enough to meet that condition. It's not attractive enough, special enough, desirable enough, obedient enough, compliant enough, interesting enough, fascinating enough for the parent to pay it attention, to acknowledge it, to validate it, to show it love and affection, right? So the child sees this, these conditions that it perceives to exist, which are created by the fear that the parent walks around with, who might be, the fear may be rolled up in the, in the in a, how can I say, in the fear of expressing emotion, in the fear of expressing love, because maybe they never experienced it from their parents, right? So when a child does not experience love, it feels it's unlovable. And therefore, it states, or it's this state of being unlovable makes it unacceptable, which then creates the fear that nobody will ever love it and accept it. So then what, it, what does it have to do to be lovable and acceptable, which is perhaps pleasing, mm -hmm. you know, being what somebody else wants it to be, but then it can't be itself. Mm. It has to be something that, you have, that it perceives the parent or another person wants it to be. Yeah, so the strategic behavior is basically make, in that case, becoming something you're not to please other people for the perception you think that of the person they want they want you to be rather than the person you actually are ah, at the core. Yeah, so you can no longer be spontaneously yourself. No. You can no longer be authentic. You can no longer be truthful. And of course, all these elements play out in a relationship. Mm. Because if in a relationship you are uh, with a person and you both have issues, where both of you have issues but you're complementary, both of you are not being authentic. Mm. Both of you are not being real because you're covering up your fears and insecurities through your behavior. Mm. And you're having a behavioral relationship rather than a truthful relationship. Hence, we have what we call behavioral psychology because that strand of psychology believes that if you change your behavior, you change the relationship. But it doesn't deal with the reasons for that behavior. Mm. It leaves that untouched. And so, therefore, nobody really changes. We go from one strategic behavior to another, rather than fixing the origin of the problem, which is the belief system that the person walks around with, which is based in fear. Mm. So, relationships are complicated because we do not understand any of that. I say it quite uh, unequivocally because um, it is my experience it, for it to be that way. The, the stuff we're talking about would be new for 99% of the population. Yeah, and, and, and why is it that way? Have you got an opinion on on how we are so, or how we become so disconnected with ourselves? Is it that fear of fear itself that keeps us in a place where we don't look for that awareness of ourselves? The moment that consciousness decided that the nature of its experience, of its experience was a product of outside forces, it was the first step in the wrong direction. Mm. It's where we first got lost. So what I'm basically saying is this, to, to, to extend that further, is that the moment that consciousness blamed 
its experience on outside forces and didn't see itself anymore as the instigator and the creator of its own life experiences. We perceived ourselves to be victims at one level. And once you go down that path, you get lost. And that's where I think the perception of psychology, of what psychology of a human consciousness is, is where it's got lost, where we, where we no longer recognize that we are the creators of our own reality and therefore our own relationships. And we don't right? take responsibility for that creation. Of we don't take responsibility reality. because we grow up with parents who don't know how to take that responsibility. We grow up with parents who have no understanding of why they behave the way they behave. So how on earth could we as children ever understand that? You know, um, and you, I can almost hear some listeners thinking, yeah, but how did you know? <laughs> All right, and I, I can understand that. How did you come to that awareness yourself? Exactly. Yeah. And I think I, I can remember my certain thoughts and thought processes at the age of five and six and a half, which might sound very early, but I was already aware to the point where I was questioning a lot of things because I perceived that how people behaved towards each other and what they said to each other wasn't representative of what's going on inside of them because I could see stuff, if you like. I was aware of certain things going on with people, but then they would talk very differently to each other um, to what I saw. There's a mismatch. It was almost, yeah, it was like a misalignment for me, a mismatch between what was really going on and what was being said. And because that was happening consistently around me, I actually thought there was something wrong with me for a long, long time. A long, long time. It's only in my early 30s that I was reading a book by um, Jane Roberts called Seth Speaks that was given to me by a very dear friend um, that, um, that I actually started to realize that what I was seeing was not wrong, was not delusional it was actually real and as I understood this reality more and more and read more and more of this material I started to understand myself a lot better but it didn't solve all of my problems it just took me down a path of awareness a growing awareness that allowed me to see more and more without necessarily coming to a solution on how to change it which was extremely frustrating for me for a long time. It's only in my early 40s that I um, became a practitioner initially of kinesiology and then developed the methodology I work with now myself that the awareness became something that I could apply in a form where I could create change in people and myself. Mm. And so it's been a journey. It's not something that just... The light was switched on. Now it took me a good forty-four years, if you like. If you take this, if you take the six years as being the 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 beginning, right? Then I would say um, at the age of thirty-seven, thirty-eight, or it's taken thirty-eight, thirty-seven years. Sorry, for me to to arrive at the point where I start to understand what was going on. It took me five years to develop the methodology. Mm. It did just drop in my lap. Interesting. To bring that back to relationships, obviously, you've had, uh, you've been married more than once, I think. And 
it's interesting then to realize that if you change who you are, you attract, I mean, this is kind of the realization out of what we're talking about today. If you change who you are, then you'll be attracted to, and other people will be attracted to you, that are different from the person you were beforehand. So if, for instance, this, this guy we've been picking on all, all episode, if he changes who he is, he then will, uh, he'll actually hook up and attract a different type of woman into his life. So if you change who you are, you actually change the type of partners that you attract and become involved with. So it basically proves that you always attract who you are. You always attract who you are, yes. Do you understand? That's yeah. what the basic truth is. And, and is that what, is that kind of what's played out in, in your life, in your relationships? It plays out in everybody's life. Yeah. I'm no different. Mm. I'm no different from anybody else. Uh, I've had a very um, tumultuous journey of life, um, and it's been very, very interesting. And I think... Life being interesting is more important than being happy, funny enough. <laughs> I have incredibly happy moments. Mm. Uh, happiness is never a continuous state in my life. But I'm always fascinated, interested, and excited. That is a continuous mm. state in my life. There's a certain texture that must exist in life for you to feel there's value in being alive. The texture is basically the journey. Mm of growth and expansion of your consciousness, it's evolving the, yourself. It's the depth of experience. You know, if you experience life almost like on the surface, you know, basically you can always become a robot. You, you get up in the morning, you brush, you brush your teeth, you go to work without really giving anything conscious thought. You come home, you watch TV, you go to bed. There isn't really any texture to life in that, in that scenario is, you know, because the depth of experience is not necessarily there. Well, the depth, the depth of experience and the depth of knowledge and self-awareness is what creates depth in life. Mm. So if you want depth in your life, start looking at yourself first because mm. that's where your inner, your inner depth creates a depth in life. Increasing your own awareness makes you aware of everything that's going on outside of you. You can only be as aware of the world as you are aware of yourself. It is unavoidably the case. If you, if you are basically someone who is totally unaware of yourself, you will be totally unaware of everything that's going on around you. Including the relationship that you're being Obviously. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, to, and so to go to that next step then, I think we have fairly well explored um, the point that you wanted to make there. But what we're going to tie it back to is then this couple that we've kind of created in this scenario, they're... They've, they've attracted to each other because they have behaviors that match, but behind those behaviors there are fears. And that is probably going to at some point cause friction in their marriage and it's going to break down because neither party feels that they're actually fulfilled in the long term by that relationship. They still want more. So the guy still wants more uh, acceptance. He wants more, more than the woman can give. And she's still insecure regardless of how much security he can provide she's still never going to be secure. So what's, okay. what's going to happen next? All right. The, 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 the issues that they have are complementary in yes. the sense that they work with each other, yeah. right? And so the behavior that comes out of it on the surface appears complementary as well. Mm. Right. But he will never make her feel that she's fantastic and amazing. Or even 100% secure. No, no, no. Listen to me. No, it's yeah. not about secure, all right? It's, it's here, she will never feel that she is complete with someone like him because he has the need to prove that he's the best person in the room always. She will always be a hanger-on, if you like, uh, somebody he can show off or 
someone he can rely and depend on uh, in a certain way, maybe sexually, maybe uh, for appearance sake, um, and she... Or to boost his ego. Yeah, for yeah. appearance sake, for, for to boost his ego. She, she will never find a completion that she's looking for because the lack of confidence that she has suits him because it makes her need him. And as long as that's the case, she will never develop the confidence that she sorely wants and needs. And he will maintain his sense of superiority, sense of ego, probably a level of selfishness, right? She will be selfish in her own way as well. Because don't think that people who are um, needy, passive, and perceive themselves to be victims are... Um, not selfish. Yeah. I mean, the truth is, people have lots of fears, lots of insecurities, feel victimized by the world, powerless and helpless in life, only ever think of themselves. And so they're actually the most selfish people you could think of. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But we look, we look at people who are takers on the, in, the, in a more obvious way, right? And who deny others to have what they want. We see them as selfish. I guess that's, again, judging people by their behaviors. We're right. back there. Yeah. We're back there. Mm. Yeah. If you look deeper, then, then you realize that whether you're an aggressive victim, which is him, or whether you're a passive victim, which is her, mm. they're both selfish in their own way because mm. they're only thinking of themselves. And the strategic behavior is about thinking about themselves and being strategic in terms of how they're going to maneuver the other person. Or, but yeah. again, it's not a conscious thing, this. It's not about thinking, oh, when my husband comes home, I'm going to do this because this. Mm -hmm. it, it's all done on a subconscious level because it's all done through the lens of those fears that exist. But a lot of, a lot of obviously, a lot of marriages and a lot of relationships break down because this... Yeah, but a lot of them last as well. Yes. Yeah, so, you know? so why do they break down? Then why do well, some? First of all, let's let's ask where they last. Okay. If they do last. Yep. So yeah. this we'll we'll keep with the couple we've been painting the picture of. Well, you know, but, but I can give you lots of different examples, but it's okay. Um, the the reason why it lasts is as long as the woman does not ask for more than what she's got, and does not protest, and he. Uh, maintains his sense of ego in respect to the woman and feels secure with that, right? It's almost like <laughs> as long as the star has a fan, right, to admire him, yep. and he feels admired and satisfied with that admiration, right, the relationship will last. Mm. Does that make sense? Yeah, but do, I mean, when these people have been together for 20 years and they become old, mm. does, is there a bitterness that creeps into that? Because the fulfillment, it just does it erode away at people, this, this kind of lack, do you think? Um, some people feel it very early. Mm. Some people, like the passive woman might, in her confidence of her security, might become more aggressive. Mm. Then he will find... That he, that he is no longer seen to be the star performer that he believes that he needs to be in order to overcome his fears and insecurities. Then when he is questioned 
and when he's interrogated and when he no longer is appreciated for what he has to offer. And so the gloss goes off the star, so to speak. Then he, they might turn off each other, you know, but often... Or, or he might go and have an affair because he needs to feel that stardom with someone else because he's not getting it at home. But that, yeah, but that, that's, a, that's a whole, yeah, that's a whole other area, <laughs> uh, people cheating on each other that way. Uh, that's, that's kind of going in a slightly different area mm. of, uh, of relationships, but it, just keeping it on the, on the basic level that we've been talking, right, is that dis- dissatisfaction creeps in because there's no progress for each of these individuals. There's no progress of growth. There's no evolving going on. There's no change. There's no, and nothing stays the same. Because the experiences they have with one another and with the rest of the world changes them. Mm. There's always a level of change in each individual. Even if it is the fact that, like I said earlier, because she's now with a guy who's looking after her, all of a sudden she has the confidence to speak up, which she never would have had before. Mm-hmm. You know? And, and, and he has now the confidence to drop the ball, so to speak, mm. and maybe have a failure here and there. And think, ah, you know, it's not that important, mm. you know, or he will blame it on somebody else, <laughs> you know. And she starts to doubt him and distrust him, and she, he feels um, maybe um, that she's not the only source for his confidence. Maybe he can find other people to admire him, or even other women mm. to admire him in order to get a boost for his ego. Yeah. So there's, there's all these possibilities exist and they don't just exist, but they play out, right? But you can never tell in, each in, in advance what in each individual will play out. Mm. A lot of things that are going on are far more subtle than this. We're talking about pretty gross yeah, I examples, think it, I, right? I think because it paints a picture... Uh, to people, and it's something, as you said, everyone knows someone like this, probably everyone knows a couple, or especially even if they don't know them personally, they can probably see a few examples in a magazine, you know, with the stars of the, the world, you know, the, the people that are on stage or rock stars, whatever. I mean, a lot of, we've probably seen people on TV that are like this, you know. Yeah, but, you know, we talk about a man who may be controlling and dominating and needs a passive wife, but then you have a controlling, dominating woman who needs a passive husband, mm-hmm. right? We have people that can't deal with emotions and feelings and then choose a man who's also, or a woman, who's also unemotional and well, doesn't need emotional expression. It would be very difficult and very confronting for a person who can't express their emotions to be involved with someone who's emotionally expressive. Right. <laughs> it's <laughs> it like, it's seem, like it? somebody who's unconditional to be with somebody who's totally conditional. Yeah, well, they would never end up together, would they? Because they're going to first. They wouldn't date, be attracted to each they other. They wouldn't start. Yeah, they wouldn't be attracted to yeah. each other. But but if two people have issues with emotions, or people have issues with facing life, or people have issues with emotional experiences, right? Um, I can. I don't want to give like examples for everything, but there's lots of examples mm-hmm. where, for instance, uh, a father would force his daughter to go into a store to confront a shop assistant over um, something that happened when he bought something there. But he won't go in. He sent his daughter in because mm. he's so terrified of confrontation mm-hmm. 
because he's basically terrified of life, mm. terrified of authority, terrified of dealing with uh, anything that would require him to stand up for himself and speak his mind. So he's terrified of every negative emotional experience. But he's got a wife who's the same. He couldn't have a woman who was not like that because mm. that would confront him with her. That's right. They, they, well, they, they, just, wouldn't, they just wouldn't fit, would they? Just they would wouldn't not fit. fit. So, so I, I think the, the opposite side of this, and this is something that I've experienced personally because um, my wife and I, uh, probably some time ago now, we actually started our, our sort of spiritual journey, I guess, by actually meeting you, Rudy, and, and doing some work with you. And we work with you together and we actually worked through and became self-aware of our fears and we work with you on the removal of those fears. Because we did that together, we actually grew ourselves together. We actually evolved together. And we come to a place now where we're actually living in a relationship that doesn't have a lot of friction left. There's actually quite an un unconditional basis to what we do after doing a lot of work together in terms of every time that an issue arises now, we realize that a negative interaction between us, a negative experience that we have, is a result of our fears. And then we, we actually work together to try and determine what's the basis, what's the cause of that. And then we work towards getting rid of that out of a relationship. Yeah. But you need to be conscious to begin with. You need to be aware to begin with that the, the reason that you would be having a fight or the reason that you would be having an argument or a disagreement about something where there's emotion, deep emotion involved, uh, a negative emotion involved, there's usually there's some sort of fear related. And because we're in a relationship, we know that we've probably got similar fears to begin with so we can yeah. work through it together. So Yeah, this is, a, this is where, you know, I mean, I work with you, Mark, and, and, and your wife, um, I, I like seeing couples together, not just one person, because if I work with one person and there is um, the issues between uh, one and the other, one and the partner, and I work just with one, then one person progressive dr pro progresses dramatically and then the other party is left not understanding, uh, is left playing out their stuff which is no longer acceptable to the person I've been working with. <laughs> and all it does is increase the level of disharmony between them, where one party would just won't put up with it anymore and say, we either change or, you know. Mm -hmm. But without that level of awareness, you, know, you can't even start to change, can you? Yeah. No. But many, many people are fearful of facing their fears and insecurities. And that means that their fears have taken strong hold over them. See, what we, I mean, I, I spoke about fears a little bit earlier, how fear um, controls our minds to such an extent that we actually fear being without our fears mm. because the promise that fear makes is to keep us from what we fear, to save us from it. So, so our, we actually trust our fear. We actually begin to depend on fear. So fear becomes a reliable source to keep us safe from what we fear, which sounds totally ludicrous, but <laughs> it's what we actually do. And because we're terrified of acknowledging our fears and dealing with our fears, we often don't want to change the level of awareness that we are stuck with at the moment. Mm. Like we don't want to know more about ourselves. No. We don't want to see who we really are because we think we're such bad people, which is only a reflection of our fears, which are illusions, right? Yeah. But we are so convinced that we are so horrible, bad, dysfunctional, inadequate, how, and, and, and not enough, 
that we don't want to look at ourselves because we think we're going to find all this really bad stuff because we believe it's real. Mm. In essence, none of us are born like this. It's just a belief. Just and a belief. a belief is nothing but a belief. A belief is a notion, is an idea. A belief, a belief is like what a, what, what a lens is to a camera, okay? Mm -hmm. The camera can take pictures, but what the picture will look like will depend on the lens, mm. right? So you can have a, a zoom lens and take up something really close and personal, or you can take a wide-angle lens and keep everything at a distance, mm -hmm. okay? Um, if the lens is distorted, cracked or broken, right, the picture will represent that, right? But so, so our belief systems are just tools for our consciousness, for our mind to create a reality. Our belief systems contain intent. Now, that intent can be based on unconditional love, acceptance and trust, or it can be based on fear. Now, depending on which belief you live your life by, if it's a fear-based belief or an unconditional love acceptance belief, that's a reality you will experience and that will be the reality you will experience for yourself as being who you are. In all aspects of your life, including your relationships. Everything, mm -hmm. right? So, so if you have negative beliefs, you're working with a cracked lens mm. and your pictures will be distorted, mm -hmm. whether you like it or not. But it is also an illusion because it doesn't represent who you really are. You've taken on a belief, you hold it to be true, it's a fear-based belief, so it is a distortion. But as long as you accept that distorted belief as being true about you and a reality about, about you, you will develop strategic behaviors to overcome it. And then you'll live a distorted life where you will never be true to yourself. Mm. So this plays out in relationships in a very big way. It plays out in relationships in a big way because um, what I call the emotional currency that is uh, between people who have an intimate relationship. Like in business, right, love doesn't play such a big part. Acceptance and trust maybe do, mm. but not love. But in intimate relationship, love is the fundamental currency between two people. Mm. And it's so... Um, Love has a tendency to push our experiences to a much higher intensity on a feeling level, on an emotional level, and therefore means a lot more to us and to our consciousness. And so our issues always have greater intensity and greater impact on our emotional being than, for instance, if a similar event or a similar nature event would occur between you and a friend or a work, work colleague or in the workplace, right? Um, it's because of this intensity that we associate with love mm. Mm. or the lack of it. I think that's, that's an amazing insight into how relationships work. We, we're probably going to wrap the episode up today. There's, a, there's so much information to talk about, about relationships that we're going to do this over a number of of episodes, so some of the things that we're going to come up and talk about, um, probably talk about the role that sexuality plays in relationships. We're going to pull apart common and specific types of um, the variety of relationships that exist, common sort of variety of relationships, and talk about the problems and issues and understand why they occur. In and we talked about one sort of scenario as an example mm -hmm. today, but there are many of those. 
Uh, and people will kind of probably connect with those, whether they're people they know or the, themselves, and they'll probably understand how some to come to some awareness for themselves of how they're actually interacting in their own relationship. We'll talk about strategic behaviors in a lot more detail when we talk about specific types of relationships. And, and you mentioned uh, that there's a whole different topic around why people cheat on their partners. So we might throw that in there and talk about that as well. Also, I think we, we will talk about communication in relationships and problem solving. Mm-hmm. Between between couples, yeah, between mm-hmm. uh, between partners, I should say. It would say. be good. It would be good to give some people people some practical tools to to start to gain that sort of awareness. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, thank you again for your time, Rudy. Absolute pleasure. And thank you to our listeners. Um, please please connect with us on our on our social media and our websites, and uh, please let people know uh, about the podcast because that's how we we're able to reach more people with the amazing information that. Uh, that's inside of Rudy. So thank you very much again, and we'll see you next time.